Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Hello and welcome to episode 46 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, psychic teenager. <laughs> Hello. Hello. And joining us tonight, no one. No one, yeah. Nobody wants to play. No, not tonight. Uh, so, it's an Andy vs Mitch episode for the first time in 2019. Yeah, and I'm going to be honest, right out the gate dreading this <laughs> <laughs> we'll be fine so um, the last time we did this it was Christmas Evil it was yeah and I think uh, I managed to convert you yeah I mean like mostly but, but I think that to be mostly fair, by you having only seen it <laughs> and, having a, and having a massive dis- a difference of opinion on how the ending plays out yeah yeah that, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so uh, I have a bit of a fight in my hands with this one and historically I don't do well with these um so, yeah, I made a bit of a rod from my own back by choosing uh, Kimberly Pierce's 2013 remake of Brian De Palma's Carrie, of course adapted from the novel by Stephen King. So you're, you're saying that this is a direct remake to Brian De Palma's film? <laughs> Rather uh, than an adaptation Not a new retelling of the book? No, I'm going to go with a new, uh, a new retelling of the book, of course, of course. Wow, okay. But, um, um, yeah, I have, I, have a bit of a, I have a bit of a soft spot for this film, and that is in spite of its many flaws. Right, well, Mitch, uh, as I'm sure you know, <laughs> there's something that we usually do to all of our guests, and we're going to do it here. And for anyone who is unaware of the story of Carrie... Oh, God. Yeah, 30 seconds synopsis. Are you ready? Oh, I, had, I actually genuinely, and this is preposterous, I had actually forgotten that we had to do this. Yeah, well, there you go. You ready? Uh, cool, great. Yeah, let's go. Three, two, one, go. Okay, Carrie White is um, an ostracised, bullied teenager, uh, the daughter of a religious zealot. Uh, she is very heavily bullied, and over the course of that bullying, realises that she has telekinetic abilities. Uh, the bullying comes to a head when there's a falsely engineered situation where she goes to the prom with a popular boy, she has pig's blood dumped on her head, and then she kills them all using her mind. Is that it? I think so. Cool, that's fine. Uh, yeah, you did that with 10 seconds left. Yeah, I thought it was quite good. Like, yeah, um, you got a lot in there. Yeah, I think so. Um, so. Referring to uh, Margaret White there as a religious zealot. Yes. It's <laughs> a Christian fundamentalist. Yeah. <laughs> Just because it's 30 seconds of the clock doesn't mean that there's not time to be eloquent. Yeah, sure, of course. <laughs> right, let's jump in. Indeed, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Explain yourself. Uh, just as, as in why this film. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I uh, This is one of those ones that came on the go. By this point, I'd been watching horror for a few years because as uh, regular listeners will know, it took me a little while. Yeah. Um, can I ask you, had you seen Brian De Palma's film before you'd seen this? Uh, yes, but it was one of those things where I made a point of watching it in advance. I hadn't oh, seen right, it okay. organically previously, but when I saw it was getting remade, I uh, both read the book and watched the film before the remake. And out. tell me this, so you had read the book before you saw this? I had read the book, yes. Cool. And Carrie 2, The Rage? Carrie 2, The Rage is another one that's eluded me. I've noticed that it's on Netflix, and I've always meant to um, give it a look, but it's also, to my previous point from the mini this week, it's weirdly long. 
Six hours. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, it's like an hour and fifty minutes, or like almost two hours, or something like that. Uh-huh. And um, it's so widely regarded as being terrible that um, I keep putting it off. But I feel like I should get to it. I think no, no time like the present. Aye, I think yeah, that yeah. If there's ever hot. if there's ever a week to go back and watch the Rage Carry Two, um, it's also it does the Blair Witch thing where it puts it's the Rage Carry Two, of as course, opposed to Carry Two yeah. the Rage. How silly of me. Um, but yeah, there's that which I haven't seen, and I haven't seen the Angela Bettis one, but I do like Angela Bettis a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, we know that. Maze is one of your favourites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, this one, so I went to see it, and I remember, like, I think that the things that I remember liking about it, I still like now. Okay. I would say that I've noticed more things that I have slight problems with, but um, it's interesting to see, I think that it's, there's a lot of big names in this, for better or worse, mm-hmm. and I think that they're all doing reasonably interesting things, again, for better or worse. It does, it gets certain things right that I think previous adaptations didn't get quite right. Okay. Um, which we can get to, and I think and I think that it lands, It some things really land, some things really don't. But I think that because there is this massive affection for the um, original film and for the book, I think that this remake got a harder time than it deserved to. So I'm not here to make the case that it's a great film, I'm aware that it isn't, but... Um, so thanks very much for listening, folks. <laughs> Goodbye! <laughs> um, you've been listening. No. I, yeah, I just think it got a bit of an unfair shake. Okay. Fair enough. So. Yeah. Uh, we open on a house, the White House. Yeah, <laughs> if you like. Yeah, okay. Um, the camera. Uh, we follow the camera upstairs. There's obviously been um a fair amount of transgressions. I don't understand why there's quite so much smashed crockery on the stairs, but it's there. Right. Okay. And um, we find Julian Moore. Yeah, as uh, Margaret White, the matriarch, the so well, uh, the the sole parent of the White household, given both. She doesn't seem too happy about this. At all, this uh, this doesn't seem like uh, something that she planned or necessarily wanted, and uh, yeah, she we catch her at the moment of birth and uh, considering infanticide. Yeah, she does mull that over. Um, she does mull that over briefly. Kind of bails out in the last second. Yeah, but does spend a fair amount of time dangling a pair of scissors over a baby. Yeah, I mean, does consider it like for <laughs> yeah, like weighs it up like pretty substantially, um, but ultimately does not do that. And um, from that, we abruptly cut to the present day, and we meet Carrie for this purpose. Uh, grown up now, no longer a baby. Yes, no longer a baby, and played here by Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah, let's get into that. Yeah, so when I watched this originally, I don't remember thinking that she was especially good in this. On watching it back, I found her to be worse. Yeah, I generally would say that Chloe Grace Moretz is a good actor. Yes, I, 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 I think she's agree. a very good actor. Yeah. I think she's terrible in this. I think that, and we can get into it as it goes on, and the character obviously changes, mm-hmm. but I think that especially early on, when you see her as being kind of very timid. And, yeah, when, uh, I think when the scene in particular when she enters the kind of shower block, yeah, right near the start, I think she's playing timid and vulnerable to a level that is insanely over the top I agree also I think a central problem with this is I just think it's a strange casting choice because when you think about what she's been in up to this point she doesn't have a victims born in her body mm-hmm. like she plays generally resilient characters smart characters like very literate very talky characters none of that she's not playing to her strengths in basically any way here yeah and I think it's also worth mentioning that even though they go to enormous pains to make Carrie look as comically dowdy and frumpy as possible 
it's still quite clear that Chloe Grace Moretz is a very good looking girl. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which um, I think kind of undercuts the character a little bit. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Like I said, I, I think that pretty much everything around Chloe Moretz in this is a little off. Right. Um, I don't I don't think it's especially fit for a purpose. I'm not, I'm, like, I'm not going to argue about so that. So you would agree with me then, straight off the bat, that I wouldn't necessarily say that Chloe Grace Moretz was the right choice. No, I don't know who I would have cast in 2013 for this. Right, but uh, that it does feel like a weird decision. Definitely, I think that I've, while we were watching it, you correctly made a she's all that comparison. Right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is like there's this kind of like overt but not particularly convincing attempt to make a very conventionally attractive person look unattractive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This all goes to shit pretty quickly. Yeah, I do like right at the start though when they're playing the kind of water polo or whatever it is. I did laugh quite loudly when she spikes the ball right into that woman's face. That is funny. <laughs> that is funny. Um, at this point, also, we get um, introduced very briefly, and we'll get into it more, but uh, Judy Greer here as uh, Mr. Jardin. Yeah, yeah, Judy Greer's great. Judy Greer, um, I would say, routinely, regardless of the material, always doing pretty good work. She's doing good work in here, but um, something about her teaching technique is a little bit creepy. She's wildly unprofessional. <laughs> <laughs> at, var- at various points, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, um, I, it's, yeah. So it's, you're right. It's a water polo sequence that we see first, and again, I think that the kind of over timid thing is hammered home here because Chloe Moretz here does not just look like she's terrified of playing uh, water polo. She also looks like she's never seen a ball before. Yeah, but what I would say is they kind of do take it from here a little bit, and she grows in confidence very quickly across the course of the film because I would say this first maybe 20 minute stretch of the film she's really timid and then that kind of goes aye yeah I, I don't know if that's kind of tied up in her finding her powers and finding who she is and becoming a, maybe a little bit more confident with that uh, I, I think that is what it is um, but uh, yeah uh, it's played too far here yeah like I say I, I think that the the performance I'll, we can talk about it as it goes on like I say but I think that this performance takes quite a long time to get out of first gear mm-hmm And then, as fans of the book and the original will know, you kind of get your main jump-off point. Yeah, this is kind of the catalyst for every single thing that happens from this point on. Yeah, because after after the water polo, of course, they're showering. Um, She has her first period in the shower, um, and due to a complete lack of sex education, apparently, both in school and in the home, she thinks that she's dying. (laughs) She does, yeah. And uh, the film's at great pains to show you're smearing her uh, menstrual blood all over people at school. Yeah, I don't mind how this plays out in terms of it kind of it really hones in on the trauma for her. And yeah, stuff like that. And there's a lot there's a lot of close ups and a lot of kind of like feverish chanting from everyone in the class who is apparently a complete dick. Like everyone. Yeah, even Sue, who kind of becomes almost this kind of sympathetic friend towards Carrie, she's a right cunt as well. Uh, she she shows a little bit of contrition later, but yeah, and again we've talked about this, but I think that this is maybe. Um, a culture difference here because we were talking about this and saying that kind of like even the harshest of bullies mm-hmm. that's in in our school experience we're never like this i went to a fucking horrible school it's full of assholes uh-huh. right I'm, I'm sorry if any of them hear this but you were a, you were a bunch of assholes um <laughs> and uh for the most part i would say that if something like this happened at my school yeah there would be a fair amount of people that would go right fucking that's enough like, it wouldn't take the intervention of a teacher to stop it. Yeah, and I mean it's everyone yeah, as well. Like, I mean, this is this is the vet. Uh, like, this scene plays out very vindictively. The bullying in this film is to a level I don't think I've ever seen. I would say that's probably true. Do you think that that's also true in the original? I really don't want to spend too much time comparing this to Brian De Palma's film. 
Okay. Because I don't think it's a fair comparison. That's fine. Mr. Jordan, Judy Greer, um, in what is the first of a number of questionable decisions that she makes during the film, slaps Carrie in the face to snap her out of it. <laughs> in fairness, she was acting hysterically, Mitch. Yes. And as we all know from films of the past, the only way to calm a hysterical woman is apparently to slap her. To slap her. Yeah, yeah. That's... Uh... <laughs> It's like a little bit of a relic from the 1940s, but <laughs> showing up here all the same. I'm... We'll have no more of that. <laughs> Crazy broad. <laughs> um, straight, into, straight out of this, uh, we have the conversation in the head teacher's office where um, we obviously we get this understanding of the fact that Carrie is terrified by the notion of her mum hearing about any of this. Also, it's kind of played for laughs that the head teacher has no idea how to talk about kind of like female troubles, air quotes. Yeah, it comes in later when he simply can't get the word period out of his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> like, Spit it out, man! Yeah, it's like, literally, his only, literally his only function in this film. Menzies! He's like a toothless authority figure. He just hums and hays over saying those words. That's literally the only purpose that he serves. He's pictured him kind of standing like, in the office on his own going, period. He's <laughs> menst- in the mirror. Menstruation. <laughs> Menstruation. I read about this time as well, and this is a character that bears mentioning, Chris Harkinson. Do you know, I used the word cunt a minute ago to talk about someone else, but my god. Yeah, reserve it for Chris Harkinson. Chris Harkinson is just horrible. Um, played here by Portia Doubleday, uh, known mostly for uh, Youth and Revolt. I would say, yeah. Um, um, yeah the that, Michael Cera film. She is horrible. Th- this character has ramped up being a dick to the highest possible quotient. You've lived in Glasgow a while now. I'm sure you've seen some of the, the girls that kind of stroll around Sucky Hall Street on a Friday or Saturday night. Mm-hmm. She looks really like one of these little Glasgow nightclub hairies that would think nothing about burying a stiletto heel in your forehead. <laughs> she doesn't like something glassy. Oh, she's a horrible wee witch. And at one point, she's wearing what appears to be chainmail armour. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, God, I hate her. I hate her. I hate yeah. her. She's got a bit of a vibe of uh, Judy from Sleepaway Camp. She very much does. Yeah, yeah in the, like, but with nowhere near the same level of hair. No, 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 no. But a very similar level of snark. <laughs> Honestly, I find her incredibly difficult to watch. She makes me so angry. Do you think that Portia Doubleday is doing good work here? I think she's doing good work, but uh, she has been handed a character who is utterly irredeemable in every possible way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From I'm... the first time you meet her until her death, there is no moment where she even briefly considers her actions in any way, shape or form. Yeah, and every single interaction that she has with anybody in this film is designed to remind you of the fact that she's a dick. Yeah. Like, there's no there's no redemptive arc, there's no characters learning things about themselves. Like even in her last you. moment, yeah, like she, she, like it's not even like at the moment of death she tries to apologize. There's nothing. There's unrepentant to the grave. Yeah. <laughs> you kind of need to admire her for you kind of admire her commitment to being an absolute arsehole. Yeah, like, I, I, I sometimes think that like uh, I sometimes think that with uh, characters like that when the when the story kind of comes and goes and they haven't learned anything about themselves, I sometimes feel that it's more authentic anyway. Yeah, maybe. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. Um, we got a first glimpse of uh, Carrie's telekinesis here, although um, it's very much framed like she doesn't really know what she's doing at this point because uh, her mom takes her home and they start kind of having this kind of exchange of words. Just before that, you see a little bit of it when she causes a water cooler to explode. Oh, I apologise. That's um, right. That's are right. they made of glass? 
Traditionally, I don't think so. In my experience, I would I've never seen one made of glass. Yeah, I didn't think that um, I, I didn't think that a water cooler would shatter. Either. Since Chunk knocked one over in 1984 uh, in the Goonies, I have never seen one made of glass. Nope, I would say that's quite fair. And yeah, shortly after this, um, a, a kid on a bike basically starts shouting "Crazy Carrie" in the window, her, and uh, <laughs> she she uh, she mind throws him off his bike. <laughs> that's really funny. Yes, it's <laughs> yes, it's really funny. Um. <laughs> Julianne Moore, playing the role of, once again, Margaret White, religious zealot mother. Um, following the aftermath of this, she comes and gets her, takes her home, and then starts hammering her head off the wall. Yeah, can I say, I think Julianne Moore's brilliant in this. Yeah, I actually, I actually, this is one, What, like, like I said earlier, I think there are certain things that this film gets more right. And I'm going to agree with you here, because we did, we watched this together just before we recorded, and um, I really do think that the film does a really good job of fleshing Margaret White out a little bit more. Yeah, I think and, that she seems way less like a shrieking fanatic in this film, and you can feel a little bit more of the kind of conflict of, like, she wants she wants Carrie to have a normal yeah. life. And there's I, a darkness in her, and there's a, there's a lot of, in her that she regrets and hates about her herself and she takes her failings or her perceived failings as a mother out on herself yeah ah, and I, I think all that stuff's really interesting and I think it plays out with a little bit more complexity yeah I mean film. and I will make a comparison here I know I just said I wouldn't but Piper Laurie is incredible in the Palmas film oh, this is great but I think this is this is a pretty strong performance as well, and it's layered in more of a in more ways than Piper Laurie's. I agree. I th- I think they're both great as well, but I think that there's a, a like a, a level of nuance here that I appreciate. Right. Okay. Um, <laughs> something less nuanced moment. Uh, Margaret whacks Carrie in the head with a Bible. That's also really funny. <laughs> there are a couple of unintentionally funny moments like that. But yeah, she uh, she leathers over the Bible. Um, out of nowhere. Zoof! Like, like, yeah. like, is this what Bible bashing means? The term? Do you know what? I, I'm inclined to say that I would imagine that Collins, the, the, to call someone a Bible basher, I would say that that's probably some... I'm sure there's people out there that have been beaten with a Bible before. Yeah, I'm, cu- I'm now curious about the origin of that term in a way that I wasn't before. Anyone want to reach out with the etymology of the term Bible basher, please do that. Yeah, get um, it done. We'll be more than happy to, to take a look at that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely convinced by... Chloe Moretz's hair dye job here to make it match her mother's. Uh, no, and it seems to kind of rinse out as the film goes on. It's jarringly fake. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it gets it gets perceptibly and more yeah, so as it goes on. Also, though, she starts off like in the first moment you see her, she is blonde. <laughs> yeah, straight and up the, blonde. The very first shot you see her, she is blonde, yep. and then the next shot she has red hair. Yeah, that is true. And bottle red hair. Mm-hmm. No, nope, you're bad. Right. Bottle red. Hair. Yeah, as punishment again. Uh, not content with just uh, hitting her in the face with the Bible. Carrie is then thrown into a cupboard yeah. in the White House that is full of fairly harrowing kind of Jesus imagery. What, you mean like most Jesus imagery? That is true. Most yeah. Jesus imagery does not traditionally depict him riding a bike and having a good time. Yeah, this, is, this isn't isolated to the, the White family household. That's uh, true. Pretty much all religious iconography is horrible. That is actually a fair point. Jesus. Certainly Christian religious iconography is horrible yes traditional depiction of jesus most often have him in a state of some distress yeah little bleeding men yes i will <laughs> with nails through their hands and feet yep not too many have pushed it to the same kind of level as mel gibson <laughs> no i mean that's true yeah there wasn't even as far as i know there certainly wasn't a range of passion of the christ crucifixes release <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I don't believe so. But yeah, she's thrown in there to think about what she's done while uh, under the uh, watchful supervision of maybe 10 or 20 depictions of Jesus. <laughs> um, while this is going on, we get a kind of a, we get a more nuanced uh, meeting of Sue Snell, played here by Gabriella Wilde. Yeah, uh, we, we join her getting blasted in her car. By uh, Ansel Elgort. Yes, yes. Uh, Baby-faced and before Baby-driver. Yeah, and indeed before um, the Faulkner Stars. Indeed, yes. Yeah, yeah so, yeah, Gabrielle Wilde, I think, here is like, okay. I think she's doing decent work. Yeah, yeah I, I don't have a massive problem with her, her role at all. Yeah, I, I don't want to dig too much into Ansel Elgort's performance in this just yet because I think that there are scenes later that kind of call for that to be looked at. Pretty early on, though, I noticed that he has really rubbery lips. <laughs> I don't know if maybe they've grown out a little bit because I don't remember them in things since. He's <laughs> suggesting that he's grown into his face. Well, I, 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 when I was younger, I had really big jug ears. Okay. And I did go through a phase where I, we considered getting them pinned back. But I think over time, we didn't do it ultimately. Right. But I think over time, my head and my features have grown to fit my ears rather than the other way around. Do you think that your ears stayed the same size and the rest of you grew around them? I think they did. That's kind of interesting. I think that's what happened. <laughs> but yeah, Sue shows a little bit of contrition here about everything that's happened to Carrie. Um, well, no wonder she's not a total asshole. Yeah, Sue also not innocent in the exchange. No, um, but she certainly decides that this had gone on long enough and uh, had stopped being funny pretty quickly. I mean, exactly. Yes, I think that she 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 doesn't intervene, but she clocks on quicker that it's kind of horrible. Straight out of this, though, you get kind of like a standard montage of kind of teen debauchery. Uh, we rejoin Chris and Ugh. her cronies and her boyfriend slash creepy uncle. You're like, <laughs> <laughs> he is really fucking old. Man. Yeah, if, if she's seventeen in this film, he's thirty four. Yeah, he's uh, Billy Nolan, played previously by John Travolta. Yeah. But this guy, I mean, this guy is probably the age in this that John Travolta was at the time this came out. <laughs> um, yeah, he, yeah. Uh, yeah, everything about that is creepy. And he's another guy who's just totally horrible. Oh yeah, they're well matched in that way. They're, they're well matched, but they're, they've got that air of future couple serial killer. Yeah, but like a more petulant Mickey and Mallory. Mickey and Mallory, yeah, I was thinking that. Uh, and yeah, that's, that kind of crops up again later as well. But yeah, they're they're terrible, he's terrible, she's terrible. They're all hanging out. She uploads the video to YouTube. It's already funny, the process for doing that in this film, because she's obviously had to like USB it to her computer and then is then uploading it from her desktop computer onto YouTube. Do you remember you used the infrared things? Yeah. You have to have your phone sat beside another phone for about 40 minutes to send the photo. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, she does. So, so she does that. Uh, that takes a while. Mister Jardin steps up in the plot at this point. Yeah. In that, uh, we're back at school the next day. Um, the girls are kind of training to pee, and Jim. Uh, Jim. Yeah. Judy Greer takes a minute. Uh, Mister Jardin, shall we say? Uh, she takes a minute to kind of lecture the girls on how they did a shitty thing to use her words. I think that's fair. And uh, yeah, she basically tells them, look. What's at stake here is your presence at prom. Uh-huh. The worst threat you can levy against high school kids, apparently. Chris does not take this well in the slightest. No, um, and tells her to fuck off? Yeah, yeah, I think she says fuck you. Fuck you, yeah. Um, and is rightfully suspended and banned from prom. Uh, yeah, she kind of appeals for people to take her side, but um, the price is too high. <laughs> 
Hell no. No, uh, no allies. No, no allies. No, I've spent a lot in my dress. I'm going. Yeah, so um, so Chris is out on her own. And again, this is kind of like setting up the fact that it kind of it makes her character cross from being kind of just a generic dickhead to actually having like an axe to grind. But she's not going to go down without a fight because she does enlist the help of her father at this point to come in and fight her corner. Which is, which is, a, which is a funny sequence. I think it was very funny. In fact, this is when she's got the, the chain mail on. Um, and he's basically threatening to get the... I think he's threatening to get the law involved or something if he doesn't... If they don't stand down and let his daughter go to prom. I mean, like, it's, 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 it's like the entire thing is nonsense. And he, he's another dick. Yes. I would be so disappointed in my daughter to hear this story. I would be incandescent with rage. Yeah, I kind of... I, like, I, I would think that I would just be like, you just... Get what's coming to you. Yeah, you sit down and you enjoy your fucking night in the house. In fact, you know what? You're certainly not going riding around with that grown man that you're, you're yeah. that you've taken a shine to. Yeah, yeah, you're definitely not going around with my colleague. <laughs> Another flash of Carrie's telekinesis. She smashes a mirror with her brain. At this point, you're kind of getting the first hint that she's not harnessing it, but she's understanding that there's something going on that's a little unusual. Yeah, and the first hint that the budget didn't perhaps extend to particularly convincing CG. Which is unfortunate, considering how much of it there is as yeah, it goes on. Yeah, the CGI in this, I find totally jarring. Uh, yeah, it's quantity uh, over quality, certainly. Oh, for God's sake, yes. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. That that's a legit that's a legitimate criticism. It's a criticism I vaguely remember putting a review together for this when it came out when I had the website. Okay, yeah. Um, it was I think it must have been one of the last things I did on the website, and I I think it was a, a criticism I levied fairly harshly at the film then, and that was at that was of the time. At the time, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not even a case of having aged particularly poorly. It just doesn't look that great. Quite no, a lot it of doesn't. Time. Yeah. I don't. Um, there's certain elements of it that I quite enjoy, but I think that it misfires. Um, quite oh, no, there's a bit. things there's things that I enjoy and. I I'll, I'll tell you when we get to them. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, um, I think it's funny, it's around this time, actually, I want to touch on something really quickly, it's around this time that uh, Margaret, Julianne Moore, we learn works as a kind of seamstress, uh, haberdasher. haberdasher. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's she's done a dress adjustment for Sue, Smith, for Sue Snell's dress. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. That her mum's picking up. Uh, her mum pays uh, her a compliment saying that she's done great work and all this kind of thing and Julianne Moore starts uh, digging like a thread remover yeah it's like a thread thread picker picker. uh, into her side yeah Um, kind of what's your take on this what what is she punishing herself for here I don't really know you see, yeah, I think I, a, maybe she's trying to hold herself back from really letting loose on and like moralizing. Yeah, because, because obviously because they're talking at length about the prom, which is obviously something she would disapprove yeah, of. Uh, and maybe it's just that she's trying to restrain herself in some way. Yeah, I think it's possible because I think, she seems to punish herself around every outburst that she has. Yes, yeah. So anytime she's particularly mean to Carrie, um, it's immediately preceded or followed up with some kind with of some uh, kind of self. It's kind of like self-flagellation, but generally involving some kind of tool. Yeah, because I always thought that about this scene. I think it's a really, it's an interesting, like it's an interesting sequence, and it's quite, a, it's quite a good visual. I don't think it's a necessary scene, though. Um, I think that it's, I, it's, I don't think it follows anything. It's, I think it's, it's theoretically, I think, just there to kind of see the fact that she's kind of more of a conflicted. But we've, we already know that by this game. point. I don't know. I don't mind it being there. I think I, I, I don't. I like. I don't know if it necessarily serves a purpose on its own, but I think that it's kind of it's 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 a tapestry. Right. Okay. Sure. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> um, Chris and Sue have a standoff here. Chris accuses Sue of selling out her principles of bullying and ostracization in the name of a perfect prom. <laughs> 
you could have been such a great bully. <laughs> exactly. Oh, fuck off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, at this point, I mean, like Chris, Chris, like Chris is a dick. We know that, but at this point, she's kind of just storming around, being really petulant in a way that is really infuriating. Uh, I find that extremely difficult to watch at moments in this film more Carrie telekinesis as well as she uh, kind of makes books and ultimately a bookshelf and her bed levitate in her room yeah this is like uh, the moment where the film truly becomes like a dark version of Matilda <laughs> that's, that's fucking madness that's a funny interpretation I I like but I thought I'd say it's an it's an accurate interpretation. It's it's not inaccurate. I th- <laughs> my take on how you see her understanding and harnessing her telekinetic abilities in this film plays out like um, a superhero origin story to me. Right. Okay. I kind of feel like um, it's like remember Chronicle. Yeah. In Chronicle, when they realize that they have the powers, they do precisely what you would do if you were a high school kid and realized you were telekinetic. They spend a solid half an hour in that film just fanning about. Yeah, well, and the if, first thing I would do is everybody knows is try to figure out how I would wank with no hands. Of course. <laughs> Naturally, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but after that. There wouldn't be an after that. That would be me. Like, <laughs> Four days later. <laughs> I'd be a hollowed out husk or I would <laughs> go too hard too quick and just psychically rip my cock off. <laughs> anyway. Um... <laughs> Sorry. No, it's so I think that like it's the equivalent of this. I think it's it's kind of like it's her trying to understand and not be intimidated by her powers. And like I say, I like the fact that it plays out in like in a superhero kind of way. I think that that's an interesting choice, and for me, it works. Okay. <laughs> if I was psychic right now, I'd be like prodded at you. Like I'd be making this recording very difficult for you. <laughs> well, more difficult than I am. <laughs> um, Fuck off, Andy. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> so, and this is true again. This is this is true of all the tellings of this story. Uh-huh. Sue continuing to feel bad um, about everything that's happened so yeah. far to Carrie, in an attempt to try and make amends, basically talks to her boyfriend Tommy and suggests that she stay at home on prom night and Tommy takes Carrie. Now, this is obviously born out of good intentions. Well, this is altruism disguising what is still bullying in my in my eyes. Yeah, I don't think it's intentional though. I think that like I think that this comes from a good place, but she's completely misunderstanding the harm that what she's suggesting can do. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously because like um even if it is kind of designed to like oh we'll give her this great night at Promenade's kind of thing it's obviously still it's an artificial situation and that's the thing about it that's wrong. Yeah? Yeah. I would agree. So Tommy approaches Carrie and again she has she's like an absolute startled gazelle when he goes over. Of course she is. She hasn't she's barely uttered I don't think she's uttered one word to anyone in this film who wasn't Ms. Desjardins by this point. Or her mum. Or her mum. I don't count that. <laughs> um, that's an extremely volatile relationship. Uh, so yeah, so uh, Tommy asks her to uh, prom. She obviously doesn't answer immediately because she's kind of panicky about the whole exchange. Um, but she eventually tells Miss Desjardins. Yeah. Who, in a weird reaction, describes Tommy as being dreamy, said the teacher, about the child. <laughs> so she kind of... So when I was watching this, um, and she's kind of like talking about how, oh you're beautiful really and all this kind of thing and again saying nothing of the fact that like us having to watch her tell a conventionally beautiful 
girl that she's beautiful really if you set your mind to it kind of thing is inherently quite silly but we've kind of we've covered that yeah but when she was kind of saying all this to her i was wondering if this was like a ridiculously oblivious moment from this character because she doesn't understand what's going on but in the next scene you see her talking to um sue and talking to tommy and just being like what are you doing and i think again judy greer i think is doing really good work here and i think that she's doing it with a character that is not necessarily the best sketched character in the world Fair. I think that I I think that she is sometimes putting in a good performance here in spite of the material. Okay, I, I actually don't mind it. I, the, my biggest problem with it is that I'm not convinced that she would let this go ahead. Okay, okay. So when she intervenes and they say, "Oh no, it's this," she thinks that she would she would just push on. I, I just don't think that the, the, this teacher character, who knows what she knows and knows these characters and knows what happened in the past in the shower and all that. Presumably that was only the first of many incidents because I think by this point we've also seen that somewhere in the school, uh, on the lockers, there is graffiti about Carrie, about her Carrie and shit. So this is like institutionalised bullying of this one character on a massive scale. Aye, yeah, that's fair. That's completely fair. I really don't think that she would allow this to happen because... The fact that she goes, oh, well, I think they might be doing something shady here, but I'll let it happen anyway and see how it rides out, <laughs> uh, to me, doesn't sit entirely truthful. Okay. Yeah, I I, 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 mean? I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think that there's a couple of weird decisions going on But that's not necessarily that... a criticism. That's not necessarily a criticism of this film. I suppose when you think about it, that's more a criticism of the story in general. Yeah, the story itself, yeah. That's across every kind of iteration of this story. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Off the back of this, Carrie has a conversation with her mum. <laughs> Do we think this will go well? Uh, no, but I think that I think that it's from her perspective, it's a necessary conversation. I don't think that she went into it expecting it to go particularly well. I think that she was braced for a difficult conversation. I think there's a moment actually just before she has the discussion with her mum, but I think there's some uh, hint that perhaps she could ask her mum to make a prom dress for her. It's like, yeah, go float that. Yeah, <laughs> look at the way she's dressed now. Like, <laughs> if her mum, she would be wearing the biggest baggy burlap fucking thing <laughs> it would be so formless it would have a big fucking cross stitched on the front of it <laughs> it would just be an upside down burlap sack with armholes and a head hole cut in it I don't know the head hole that's giving away too much you get you to are see your face modest yeah um, yeah uh, yeah some more pretty convincing Julianne Moore uh, religious conflict stuff going on here uh, but also uh, one of a couple of moments where Carrie effectively Vader chokes her mum and I think for someone who is as religious as the character of Margaret White, round about this time you can kind of understand where she's coming from because her daughter is portraying, frankly, quite alarming abilities. Yeah, and I think that when when your uh, background is hardline religious, I think it would be easy to for your first assumption to be that your child was possessed by the devil. Well, didn't the jacket at one point say, uh, wait, what, is she actually the devil now? <laughs> <laughs> Which I think that, like, uh, with no context, is an understandable first place to go. I think if my mother was religious to that level, I would try to do as much as I could to placate her and not simply enforce her bigotry by proving it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I completely understand that. But again, at this point, it could be argued that she doesn't necessarily have 100% harness over what she's doing. Well, she's doing a pretty good job. It's all very controlled. I suppose, yeah. She's just, she's like, suspends her in midair, doesn't she, and kind of lectures her. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. No, withdrawn. And also at the same time, perhaps there would be a, a, a kind of climb down in Margaret's behaviour after seeing this. Okay, yeah, 
Do you think like how how do you think she would have reacted? Certainly, if it was me, mm-hmm. you know, when like you see a scalded dog, it goes. <laughs> yeah, it becomes a bit more timid, then its behaviour softens. Uh, I would imagine if I was Margaret, I would do as much as I could to not poke the bear that is Carrie. That's reasonable. Oh, yeah, that's now faced with what are quite like I said, quite alarming abilities. Yeah. Yeah, which which yeah, which is developing a command over, and it's <laughs> uh, exercising some free will. I think at a, at a pace that could only be described as breakneck. Mitch. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't <laughs> agree more. The first kind of seeding of uh, the setup for the third act here, as Chris and her cronies kill a pig in what is an extremely unpleasant sequence. Yeah, a scene of needless, gratuitous porcine slaughter. Um, oh, yeah, there we are. Um, um Chris, so Chris doesn't deliver the death blow, but does do some of the bloodletting herself. Yeah, she's only too quick to step in with that knife. Because of course she is. Yeah, yeah. She gives me pause for thought. Yeah, um, yeah, but but extremely problematic character in a number of ways. Yeah, I'm also like the, the apparently there's a story that uh, the guy that plays Billy got sick from kissing the sledgehammer. It does a bit before he delivers the the knockout blow to the pig, um, where he kisses the sledgehammer. Apparently, it was covered in pig feces and it made him genuinely ill. That's fucking revolting. Um, do you know what? I'm fine with that. Um, I'm fine with that. <laughs> I can only imagine that he's entirely as unpleasant as his character because it's very convincing. <laughs> they are a pair of absolute digs. Aren't oh, they? they're horrible, horrible. Um, but yeah, they uh, fill a bucket with pig, pig's blood, then we see them kind of hooking it up at the prom. Um, and then a montage of japes as everyone gets ready for prom night. Yeah. A lot of, uh, lot of people kind of uh, larking around in dressmakers, throwing hats on each other, all this kind of thing. Before this, though, we find out that um, Sue seems to be having some uh, sickness in the morning, if you catch my drift. Oh, God, yes, of course. It is heavily seeded. No pun intended. No pun intended whatsoever. Uh, although I'd imagine that following the altercation in her car with uh, with Tommy, that she too was heavily seated. <laughs> uh, yeah, Sue's pregnant. Yeah, she. Uh, well, is she or is she just sick? Well, it's point. it's heavily implied that Sue's pregnant. But yeah, everyone is um, uh, gearing up for prom. We see some more problems with Carrie and her mom. At this point, I think that all of the excess of Carrie and her mom is just to kind of keep on kind of hammering home the degenerating and fluid nature of the relationship. And is this Carrie getting ready for prom that we're talking about here? The point where we see that Carrie is actually an incredibly proficient makeup artist and hairstylist. Yeah, for someone who later in the film has to get an absolute nuts and bolts tutorial on how dancing works, very proficient in general kind of modern beauty things. She looks incredible. Yeah, she looks great. Her makeup is on point. Yeah, hair is fantastic. Spectacularly curled. Obviously, there's a curling wand somewhere in that house. Yeah, yeah. Or she could have done it with her mind. (laughs) She stabs herself in the eye with an eye pencil. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck that. (laughs) I mean, come on here, right? I've got to make another comparison to '76. Aye, by all means. Sissy Spacek. When she goes to that prom, she's got her little dress on, but her hair's still a bit kind of lank and. She's got the most basic possible makeup on. Yeah. Chloe Grace Moretz here is done up like fuck. This is 100% legitimate criticism. Yeah, I, I just think, I don't, I don't buy it. 
I don't buy no. it because she couldn't. It's not like she's got like lifestyle magazines around that teach her to do these things, or anyone around to teach her to do these things. Her mum would fucking freak out if she found makeup in the house. Yeah, no, that's so she's that's not practicing in her own time. Totally legitimate, totally legitimate. And I think that, and I think that that's this is actually a point that necessitates looking at the looking at the first film because you're right. I think that like the way that Sissy Spacek is made up to go to prom looks like someone who understood that they needed to be dressed up but didn't really know how to do that. Yeah, as opposed to Chloe Moretz, who looks absolutely beautiful. But I, when faced with her, when faced with her, gro- her daughter looking grown up and behaving grown up and going out to what is perceived to be a, a nest of vipers and then of iniquity uh, in the prom, obviously Margaret's acting up a little. Yeah, and I'm um, carrying response to this before she heads out um, to Tommy by not just uh, mind throwing her into the Jesus cupboard, but also mind welding the lock shut. Push. Uh, yeah, so some seriously precision command over telekinetic abilities here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Honestly, like she, she has powers that are mind-boggling at this point. Yeah, I cannot think of any instance in any other film where someone who has telekinetic abilities has a telekinetic soldering iron. <laughs> True. True, true. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she uh, she uh, she welds uh, she welds the lock shut. Her um, her mum is locked up in the cupboard, uh, which is done presumably only so uh, we can watch her hilarious escape later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tommy rolls up in a limousine. I hate limousines. I find them ostentatious and yeah, they're tacky. I've never got them. Yeah, they're, them. they're tacky. I'm not gonna pretend that I've never ridden in one. Well, I've ridden in several. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, I do not like them. It's prom time. Finally, yeah. prom time. Another thing I hate, this prom. This, this, I find all of the stuff at the prom, in a good, like, and I don't mean this in the sense that it's bad, I just find all the stuff at the prom to be incredibly difficult viewing. Um, <laughs> the interactions between Tommy and Carrie are incredibly awkward, uh, and they're obviously designed to be that way, and I think that Ansel Elgort's doing okay work here as well. Yeah, there's a moment, just when Tommy asks Carrie to dance, where she like looks at a girl who's dancing through the crowd, and there's like this weird whoosh, noise i was like what's that why is that and then i was thinking did she just learn how to dance by osmosis by watching someone i was like that's another bizarre power um that i I hadn't expected but uh, no definitely not i was gonna say because when because he eventually does get her to go up to dance and he literally has to be like right okay what happens here is i'm gonna put my hand on your waist you're gonna put your hand on my shoulder and then we're gonna sway in time to the music he like literally an absolute like bare bones webster's dictionary definition of dancing yeah but they just do that weird walking around slowly dance yeah exactly which to be fair is uh is probably not a bad entry level thing for someone who apparently had no idea what dancing was on a conceptual level until two minutes previous. Can you dance? Can I dance? Yeah. I can certainly try. And we're back. <laughs> We've been dancing for forty minutes. <laughs> uh, just, just, just jive into the sunshine, kid, for the last two hours. Listener to the show, uh, frequent listener to the show, James Duffy is an accomplished ballroom dancer. I didn't know this until very recently. Yeah, that's. Uh, he could have given us some lessons. He mentioned something about his two-step days to me yeah, in private yeah. correspondence. He could have uh, given us some, given us some lessons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> different story for another podcast. Some of the stuff he uh, that Ansel Elgort's coming out with here uh, is just terrible. I think it's 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 played out like in it's it's played out like it's endearing. I think it's really really cringy, but I think yeah. it's really cheesy. Total fondue. 
and uh, Carrie's lapping it up like she can't get enough of this chat yeah I think uh, again it's all I, I actually I don't know this kind of feels like it might be deliberate this kind of like kind of ham-fisted attempt to try and be nice and to try and be endearing and try and be charming and gentlemanly in an yeah. old-worldly kind of way and I guess there's probably part of Carrie that starts to be almost seduced by the idea that this could be real this could be something do you know what I mean yeah I think that um uh, I think that it's kind of it's it's really sad to watch because I think that like you see her going there and being so incredibly guarded and suspicious um when it's first mentioned right the way through and over the course of the prom night this is maybe another reason why I find it quite difficult to watch. You can kind of see that skepticism getting worn away and which just kind of happens in synchronicity with you again seeing Chris uh, up in the yeah. kind of upper deck uh, waiting with the bucket of pig's blood uh, hanging there. And uh, yeah, I, I think the whole, the whole thing's really unpleasant, but I think it, it's it's kind of organic. Yeah, okay, yeah. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but Chris waiting in the wings with the bucket of pig's blood ready to do the dumping. Text Sue, who's obviously sitting at home, she's not going to prom, with the message, your girl looks good, she won't for long. See, again, needless villainy. Prick. <laughs> Prick. You're right as well. Prick. <laughs> Sue races to the scene to try and intervene, and while this is happening, Tommy and Carrie are named prom king and queen, and it's pretty much disaster time. But again, that's all It's all. That's all been manipulated. Yes, it's engineered. Engineered to get her on that stage, standing on the weird star on the floor. Yeah, X marks the spot. So yeah, they're up there and a bucket of pig's blood gets emptied onto her and this is as unpleasant in this film as it is in the other film and in any telling of the story. It's a really fucking horrible thing that happens and the actual moment when it happens is really, really nasty and difficult to choke down, I think. Yeah. And Tommy, he he does kind of try to rally a little bit to her defence. Yeah. Not only because his lovely white suit's also fucked. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a rental. It is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, he rallies for a little bit before he is, I will admit it, hilariously killed by a falling bucket. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Whatever iteration... <laughs> whatever, whatever iteration of your story, of this story you are conceiving, this is a silly thing that happens. Oh, it's so funny. Yep. Bucket- I mean, it probably could kill you. Yeah, I think, uh, but it's just such an unceremonious way to die. It really, really is. I, it's. I think it's. It's very amusing. A point here on Chloe Moretz in this role and the kind of general nature of her performance. I think that she is. I understand it's different, but I think it's better here. And I think that it's no coincidence that her performance. I think improves as the character gets less timid. As the character gets more assertive, I think that she improves. And again, I think it ties back into what I was saying earlier about the fact that I just, based on what I've seen of her both before this and since, I don't think that her strength lies in playing downtrodden characters, particularly. Not a massive fan of her uh, hand and arm movements as she manipulates objects in in the environment. Uh, yeah, because there's no, been no call for her to do that previously. She's been doing stuff just with her mind, like when she was throwing people off bikes and uh, yeah. making mm-hmm. the books move mm-hmm. and stuff. I understand that. It does. It's not something that bothers me, but I, I know I could. It's very. It's uh, a fair interpretation. It's to very say that. Yoda. It's it is a little Yoda, isn't it? <laughs> um, a little bit, but yes, it is at this point massacre time. Yeah, this is what it's all been leading to. Yeah, um, uh, she Vader chokes Miss Desjardins here, but just to lift her to safety. Yeah, also worth mentioning, we forgot a moment where uh, Billy threatens to kill Chris. Oh my god, yeah, that's right. 
they are uh, shocked at the developments that they have engineered and the, the kind of avenues that it's all taken unexpectedly. Uh, they, she has, a, actually she has a, maybe a, the tiniest flutter of concern here that things might not be going correctly. Yeah. And uh, Billy threatens to kill her if she tells anyone. Yeah. Uh, Presumably because... before Billy dies of natural causes at some point in the next two years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, then they run away and they... Uh, this is my favourite bit in the film and it's such a small moment. I know what you're going to say. But they run away and they jump in their car and they have been parked in too tightly by other cars and they have this hilarious moment where they're kind of where they're trying to reverse and go forward to get out of this space kind of like yeah kind of like an Austin Powers to me it's the moment that shows you how fucking stupid these people are yes yeah yeah they haven't figured that out yeah yeah that that is it's um it's really funny it's kind of silly but it, it is funny yeah. Um, yeah, the actual massacre itself, I think, plays out. I mean, you you spoke about this before about the CGI, and I think that um, in situations like this, where obviously you've got this very large set piece, it's heavily heavily reliant on it. Mm-hmm. I think that like um, some of the visuals stumble quite badly here. I would agree, but there's in amongst that, there's some lovely little gems. Uh, I think uh, the guy that gets killed by the bleachers. That's cracking. It's a really satisfying moment. I think the the two girls that get trampled to death is a really disturbing moment. Yeah, it's I've always been something that I, that's a real fear of mine. Trampling. Yeah, yeah, horrible. It's quite horrible there because they're getting those like heel, high heels are like stabbing them in the back and stuff like that. It's pretty horrible. But there's some uh, really cool little moments, little individual kind of gags in there that work really well. Yeah, but I think when it's on when you're they're trying to show you on a massive scale. Yes. It just it's never convincing. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there actually. I think a lot of, yeah, a lot of the individual stuff, like even like the, the girl that kinda gets electrocuted by the live wire. Oh yeah. That gets mm-hmm. kinda zapped by it a few times. And she goes in fire. Yeah. That's yeah, that's really good. That's good as a, well. a really strong fire stunt in yeah. there as well. You're right. Is it like a lot of the kind of uh, a lot of the individual moments they get right, but a lot of the kind of general broad strokes things feel a little bit inauthentic and look a little bit ropey. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um uh. However, it's not too far, it's, not, it's almost immediately after this, actually, that um, we lose both Chris and her um, elderly boyfriend, and this is a good death, I think. They try and run Carrie over with the car, and um, she basically, just before it reaches her, basically it has the impact of a car crash. Yeah. Um, so, Billy's killed instantly. Is he? Well, he certainly, uh, it looks he's pretty bad. Certainly his grill's fucked up. Yeah, I, I, th- yeah. I, I think he's dead. Um, Chris is not, Carrie starts uh, choking her with the seatbelt. Yeah. And then she tries to run her over again, which I think is a fool's errand, because what's the definition of madness? <laughs> Every action she makes in this film. Yeah, but um, do, but doing the same thing twice and expecting a different result. Um, she goes for it, um, Carrie ultimately makes the car levitate, and I like this death. I do not. When she gets thrown face first into the windshield. I don't like it. I think we both hit on when it happens. It looks like it was built for 3D. And, that's, and this one was never in 3D. No, no to the best of my knowledge. No, anyway. I, 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 um, I can say with almost complete confidence that it would, there was never a 3D presentation of this. Right, okay. Um, I don't like the aftermath either. What, when she's kind of... Well, the face is kind of just poking through this weird halo of glass. See, I'm quite, I'm quite into that. Um, I like that visual. For me, the best moment is when Carrie just walks away and nonchalantly lets the car explode. Cool guys don't look at explosions. I like that Exactly, too. exactly that. Yeah, no. I like I say. I think that this is okay. I think that the the general massacre and third act mayhem is a bit of a mixed bag. Yeah. Also, she flies. 
Yeah, not crazy about that. Not crazy about that at all. Um, although why she then chooses to walk everywhere after that uh, is beyond me. Yeah, well, it's not flying all the time. Yeah, if I realised I also had the power of flight, yeah, my feet would never touch the ground, sir. Yep, that's reasonable. I, I think that I think that we would all say that. I would have liked to have seen Chris die in a more. I, I mean, there's an argument. Some people might go, Andy, that's a that's quite a horrible way to go. Mm-hmm. I would have liked to have seen it be just a little bit more sadistic, I think. Yeah, I don't know. You want the catharsis, don't you? Yeah, of seeing, I, of seeing the dickhead character really suffer. I would have liked her maybe to just compact the car with her in it. Oh, yeah. That mm-hmm. would be pretty horrible. Yeah, that'd be good. That'd be good. Carrie, at this point, heads home and has a panicky bath. <laughs> I think I would want to get the smell of that blood off me uh, yes. as quickly as possible because she is absolutely coated at that point um, then she comes back downstairs has a conversation with her mum who laments not drowning her at birth but then repents by stabbing her in the back or tries to <laughs> repent by stabbing her in the back with a knife um, the struggle here is quite dumb like the, the actual the actual brawl between Julianne Moore and Chloe Moretz looks kind of silly again like I just don't no, we get that Margaret's mad. She's crazy as fuck. Yeah. She's mad as a box of cats. Mm-hmm. But I just, I think she would be a bit more cautious than she is, given that she knows about Carrie and Carrie's abilities. I think at this point she's just actively trying to kill her. No, no, I, I, I don't... I don't doubt that. Yeah, and um and yeah and I mean uh, I don't know maybe that and, and yeah I think that she's I think she's just kind of going for it and she's realizing this is what she has to do and she's kind of putting any if there was any fear or any kind of reservation she's trying to put it to one side in the name of air quotes doing the Lord's work. <laughs> um, the way that her mother actually dies then right when Carrie manages to assemble all the bladed instruments in the house and also just some other items. Yeah, there's a there's a steel ruler in there. <laughs> Everything is either bladed or could do some damage, and uh, nails her mum to the wall in a Christ pose, and uh, she dies. Yeah, eventually. But yeah, she yeah. dies. Sue shows up at this point for not entirely sure how she knew where to go or where she would try or how she got there. Well, um, it seems to me that trying Carrie's house would be a good start. Ah, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess. But like worst um, case scenario, you get an extremely jittery Margaret White telling you to fuck off. <laughs> Uh, Um, this is something that I think that the film does quite well I think that the ending of the and I'm not going to talk about this in relation to the first film I'm going to talk about it in relation to the book right um, where I think the the ending of the book and Carrie's journey involves a lot of zigzagging on the map it does yeah yeah like you know she goes to school and then she goes and rampages then she goes home then she goes out again and um, I think that that bit feels really protracted. And I think that basically by taking all of your central conflicts and doing them in two places, which is basically that the Chris and Billy thing is resolved in the street in everything to do with her mum and Sue and Carrie's actual death. Yeah, it's a very clear, all, all happens it's a very clear trail of destruction. Yes, I... School, street, home. It's focused. Yeah. And I think that and I think that, that is something that the book lacks. I, think that I that actually part is, would say, I mean... It, in fairness to Stephen King, it's his first book. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. But it's a criticism I would levy against Stephen King beyond his first book. Okay. Is that he does a lot of zigzagging and a lot of work where perhaps there might be a, a more straight road there. Yeah. Um, and that, that's something that bothers me a lot about Stephen King's books is that I would say there's quite a lot of chaff to rifle through. Yeah, which I think must make it quite difficult to adapt. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. and like, but I th- but here I think that yeah, there's this very sensible as the crow flies route from school <laughs> to street to house. Don't you see it like from a 
actually from like a bird's eye perspective where it's just like just like chaos and fucking like uh, manholes exploding yeah you do, <laughs> you do get a couple of those yeah that's right but basically yeah the film resolves all the conflicts it needs to resolve on one very linear path which I think that the book doesn't do and I think that and I think it's worth flagging up that I think that that's a well executed kind of narratively I think that's well executed okay um, but Carrie is dead and let's talk about this final scene <laughs> okay our final scenes I guess the so, destruction of the white household first I would imagine then yeah where Carrie once again summons a rain of rocks uh, I say once again because I believe they filmed it for this and I believe they filmed it for the 76 one the Brian De Palma one Okay, um, and I think it's how the book opens, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I can't remember. Or there's a moment in the book where Carrie's young and she gets into another <laughs> to do with her mum when she's younger than the the, car- the the main kind of story of Carrie, and she gets into some kind of altercation with her mum, and she has like a tantrum and kind of summons this rain of rocks, and yeah, they certainly bring it back at the end of this. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind it. Again, it's a bit fake looking. Uh, yeah, I think that um, the actual the actual destruction of the house is really fake looking. Yeah, 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 and, and, and in a way that kind of pulls me out of it a little bit. So Sue kind of stands idly by at this point. Of course, Carrie has also somehow knows that she's that Sue's pregnant with a girl. Uh, spoiler, uh, spoiling things for Sue. She yeah. might not want to know that. I don't want to know. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, house uh, house falls down. Carrie's dead. Sue's then seen testifying in court for some reason. <laughs> Who's being prosecuted? Maybe it's a civil case. Yeah, uh, maybe, maybe, yeah. Um, but like yeah, an inquest? Possibly. Yeah, and then we pull out of this and um, we see Sue putting a flower on Carrie's grave and the film sidesteps trying to do the hand coming out of the grave that is obviously the stinger at the end of the first film. But does something far less interesting. The cracking grave and the noise. And the the extremely bad CG cracking g- grave. Yeah, I understand that the CG is bad, but I think that I would have prefer that they tried something like this than do the hand coming out of the ground. Do you know what? I, I don't. Really? I'd rather see them retread that moment or something or just go something completely off base that we didn't expect at all. Okay. Than this which to me it kind of, it's kind of like ending it on like a wet fart. I think that it's done in an attempt to insulate themselves against criticisms of poorly recreating scenes from the film, from the original film. But... Uh, I think when you're doing a, a a version of a book for the third time, you can't really avoid that. Obviously, the book doesn't end the way Brian De Palma's film ends. No. So I can see what you're saying. Perhaps as an argument that having the hand come out of the grave could be seen at like as pandering. Yeah, I I, see, I, think, I I think that I think that's what they're trying to avoid here. I mean, whether or not you like the execution, I think that's what they're trying. But to I think to end on something that is so uninteresting is baffling. Mm. Okay. It leads you down that path that you're going to get that payoff or something perhaps a bit more interesting even again than how the 76 film ends. Yeah. And then you get something that's just so uninspired. How do you think you would have ended it? Do you know what? I would have probably just done it again. Just done a hand. The majority of the people that went to see Carrie in 2013 probably had never seen this 1976 version. Okay. Or the 2002 version. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. So I, I really don't think there's anything wrong with recreating that final scene because that's what kind of people expect. What people expect. Um, or, or, or don't know any better. Yeah, and yeah. if you want to subvert people's expectations, at least try and do something interesting with it. Because to me, it's just... It's, it's incredibly uninspiring I, as an ending. I prefer the try than the copy, I think. Okay. Yeah. So we're out at this point, and to summarise, 
I think that this film is a curiosity. Um, I think that there, I think it gets a lot of things right and a lot of things very wrong. But I think that because of the reserve of, of affection for the material, and by that I mean both the book and the original film, I think that it comes in for a lot of really, really harsh criticism. I completely agree that Chloe Moretz is a ropey casting choice for the. Uh, I think she, for the I think she was the wrong casting. Yeah, choice. she's yeah. I, I think she's wrong for it too. But I think that there are a lot of people doing a lot of really good work here. I think that even though her character is reprehensible, I think that Portia Doubleday is doing okay here. I think she's really great. I think Julia Moore's great. If the definition of doing good is putting together that character that is utterly reprehensible, mm-hmm. then she's doing great. Yeah, like absolutely. Here. Well, I mean, I think so. I think you're, be, su- yeah. you're you're supposed to not like her, and you hate her. If that is if that is indeed the point of putting together a character that is an irredeemable villain, then she succeeds more than admirably mm-hmm. yeah I think so she is utterly reprehensible yeah. and for that reason only I would say that her performance is second only to Julianne Moore's yep Julianne Moore's great I think uh, Julianne Moore I think basically I think that for as much as I do quite like this film I think that a lot of the things that I give it a pass for I'd be less inclined to if it wasn't for Julianne Moore yeah I, I think she was absolutely the right choice Oh, she's great. She's really, really I know that other names had been tossed around. In fact, Sissy Spacek herself, I believe, had been tossed around for a while to come back and play Margaret White. Okay. Um, And I know Jodie Foster had been... They'd wanted Jodie Foster for a while to Mm -hmm. do it. All of them good choices in their own way, Yeah. I think. Um, But I really think that Julianne Moore couldn't be beaten in this because I think there's a vulnerability to her as well that... Yeah. I I just she plays might it with, not come with another actor. Yeah, I think she plays it with a decent amount of complexity. I think that it's I, I think it's really strong. Yeah, she's our MVP here. I oh absolutely hands down. But I think uh, yeah, Judy Greer is really good here as well. Uh yeah, like I say, there's there's quite a few missteps, and I think that a lot of the CG stuff is off. <laughs> but um, but yeah, overall, I think that I I'm not telling people to rewatch this because it's great. I'm telling people to rewatch this to just just give it a little bit of room to breathe. And I think that there is, there is, there's, there's stuff in there. I think that there's a, there's, there's good stuff going on there, and I think that it's very easy for people to forget that on reflection. What about you? I know, like I said, I saw this in the cinema. Mm-hmm. Uh, relatively... And this was your first watch since then, right? It was, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, um, I love the story of Carrie. Mm-hmm. I love the book, and I, and I, and it's not to say I completely hate this, but I just feel it was pointless, and it was a, a time where it felt pointless then. Okay, and I don't think it's. I don't think it's developed in any way as a film when I revisited it today. I didn't take anything else from it. Right. I never went, do you know what? Seeing the, the kind of intervening six years, Chloe, Chloe Moretz's performance is a lot better than I remember. It's not. It's worse. <laughs> it's, it might even be worse. Like I um, found it to be worse. I and uh, I just, for a film that was only made six years ago, it's aged so badly. I think elements of it have. Oh, come on, man. Like we've In the time we've been doing this show, we have watched slasher films from the 1990s, mm-hmm. right? From the late 90s, where the CG effects look better than the CG effects in this film. I mean, that's true. I don't feel it was made with a lot of love. Okay. I really don't. I feel like it was bashed out quickly as a money-making exercise, and it made a fuckload. It did, yeah, yeah. 85 million. Yeah. I don't think Kimberly Pierce did a bad job of directing. I feel like the casting was a cynical one and getting... She was a name. Chloe was... Moretz in was a name rather than taking a risk and getting someone who was a bit more interesting. To me, like you said yourself, Chloe Moretz has got a weird kind of ballsiness to her. Yeah, and, and I, yeah her, she, she, she thrives playing gutsy yeah, characters. and her trying to dial that down was absolutely... In, to the detriment of her performance, as you kind of see in the first couple of scenes. Mm-hmm. The story of Carrie itself is amazing. A, a, a story of a young girl 
coming of age, finding herself uh, as she kind of grows into herself, becoming a woman and finding this power that she has as she becomes a woman mm-hmm. and kind of trying to overcome all these obstacles that she's got just constantly and trying to just live her life and get through it because that's all she's trying to do is just get through, get by mm-hmm. uh, when she's faced with just constant onslaught 24-7. Yep. The minute she leaves the house, nothing but abuse. The minute she comes home, nothing but abuse. And I think it's a really sad, sad story. But to me, in this, I, I find it harder to engage with this film. Yeah, I can understand that. Than either Sissy Spacex performance or Brian De Palma's film, or the the mini series with uh, with Angela Bettis in it. Really, I really need to get that watched. To me, it's they're just much better. <laughs> see, see, just 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 for a sideline because I haven't seen it. What's the Rage Carry to like? It's not. It's not great. It's one of those films, though, like The Blair Witch 2. Yeah. Uh, where it's kind of developed this weird following. Okay. And it's a film that I actually expected someone to bring on to this format before now. Right, okay. So mm-hmm. I'm surprised that no one's brought the Rage Carry 2 on before now. But perhaps someone will off the back of it. Yeah, you never know. Who knows? Yeah, um, stranger things have happened. But if you're asking me now if I've softened in any way towards Carry 2013, yeah. sitting here, you trying to win me round in a way uh-huh. and I haven't really okay I would um, be curious to know if anyone else has uh, if anyone's gone back to this and taken any more out of it because I, 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 I took more and less from it in different ways on this watch so I'd be curious to know what everybody else thinks as well I love that every film you pick you have a little bit of a wobble <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. fucking hell have I made a terrible mistake <laughs> yeah it's right about the 50 minute mark I was like oh man <laughs> Oh no. <laughs> no, I like this. I like this. Um, and I guess that's just about all there is to say. I'm just going to say this in closing from my argument. I don't think it's a terrible film. It's just a film. Yeah, sure. It's pretty harmless, but that's it. It just exists. You're right in saying it's a curiosity, and it's a curiosity for me because it just exists in this weird limbo <laughs> of being, a, in my mind, just a total afterthought. I'm just it's just general ambivalence towards it. I think that being ambivalent towards it puts you in the like top fifteen percent of what horror fans think of it. Um, in my experience, like when I've talked about people, when I've talked to people about this film, they have gotten quite mad at me for having a reserve of <laughs> for having a reserve of affection for I, I it. I don't understand that level of aggro for it though, because I don't think it does enough to make you physically angry. See, I wouldn't have said so either, but um, but yeah, I've I've been on the receiving end of yeah, some of that. I don't before. think it's particularly great. It just exists, and it's there if you want to watch it. I suppose <laughs> is the kindest thing I can say. <laughs> it's a, this is certainly say, a film. Yeah, I'm not going to say don't watch it. Yeah, but if you're if you're into the carry films, uh, or the no, it's not a franchise, but if you're into the weird carry films, then yeah, you can also watch this. <laughs> I'll take um, it if you want. I'll take and it, and if you don't, doesn't it matter? Yeah, because you're not really missing much. That's just. It's just it's there if you want it. <laughs> it sure is. Um, on that note, I guess we're done. Yeah, uh, that's all there is to say. However, um, I definitely want to know what everybody else has to say about this one too. Um, and you can do that in all sorts of ways. I would like to know what the first thing you would do with your telekinetic powers as listener. That's a fucking great question. Yes. yes. If yeah. you suddenly found that you had the ability to telekinetically manipulate objects in your vicinity, what would be the first thing you would do? Yes. I've told you mine. <laughs> Tell us your thoughts on that and on the film in general through all the usual channels. <laughs> 
Facebook and Instagram are Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us at Strong Violent PC, and you can also, of course, email Longer Considerations if your telekinesis story uh, needs more than 240 characters or 280 characters. Or if you're going to tell us about your own experiences being someone with telekinesis. Yes, even yeah, better. If there are any telekinetic people out there, please get in touch. Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com. Or shoot it from wherever you are into our brains. <laughs> That's yep. fine too. And uh, Andy, where can people listen to us? Uh, there are many places, Mitch, but they are myriad now. Is that a fact? Yep, they are. Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Acast, TuneIn, and their home at Podbean. And a big thank you to everybody for listening. Yes, uh, as always, we, we couldn't do it without you. There'd be no point. Uh, and we absolutely love every single one of you for taking the time to listen to this rabble. And speaking of rabbles, we will be back on Monday with another mini-sode for your delectation. All the usual shite on there. We'll be talking about what we've been watching. We'll be taking a look at my progress hmm, through the Shockwaves 100. We'll be playing Mitch's Pitches, taking a look at your feedback. And of course, letting you know everything you need to know for next week's episode yeah and I think that's it yeah Yeah. we'll be back Monday join us then if you can in the meantime go to your closet and pray goodbye amen You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.